You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. It's page 453 in the Pew Bible right in front of you if you don't have your own copy of Scripture. And if you do have your own copy of Scripture, that's marvelous. Just open up to the middle of the Bible and find Psalm 13. You know, church, uh, after a brief little bit of a hiatus, I returned back to the gym last week. Um, and then Thanksgiving happened, and I ruined everything. So, But anyway, I returned back to the gym, and I began to experience what many gym goers call the beautiful pain. Simply put, the beautiful pain is the pain you experience during and after a workout. It's pain that's uncomfortable, and it's pain that's unwelcomed, uh, because you haven't worked out in a while, and your body's not used to it. Yet at the same time, it's considered a beautiful pain because it builds muscle. In fact, without the beautiful pain, there would be no gain. From a bodybuilding perspective, a certain amount of pain is a necessary component to achieving muscular growth. Now, I don't want you guys thinking, oh, man, you know, Pastor Mike, in a few months, you're not going to be able to recognize him. Look, I don't go to the gym that often, right? I'm just trying to keep myself alive. But anyway... Church, in many ways, though, the same is true when it comes to our spiritual growth. You see, oftentimes, God will use painful circumstances in our lives to build our spiritual muscle. In other words, he will allow us to go through uncomfortable and unwelcomed circumstances to make us spiritually stronger. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Simply put, God won't let the hurts of his children go to waste. If you're a child of God, he will use the pain in your life to accomplish his good purposes for your life. I've heard it put this way, not everything is good. But God is always working for our good in everything. Anyone can bring good out of good, but God can bring good out of evil. He turns crucifixions into resurrections. I like that. Church, when we choose to view our pain through this biblical perspective, it will change how we respond to it. Controversial soccer star Megan Rapinoe recently tore her Achilles heel in the final match of her career. And she later told reporters, I thought about it a little bit. I mean, I'm not a religious person or anything, and if there was a God, like, this is proof that there isn't. That was kind of her response to the pain that she went through. You see, she, she responded to her pain with the wrong perspective. You see, the presence of pain does not prove the absence of God. Neither does the absence of pain prove the presence of God. Instead, God will often use pain to get our attention and draw us closer to his presence. Greg Laurie recently said, he said, when something out of the ordinary happens in our lives, it may be the Lord trying to speak to us. When we have an unexpected change of plans, when something we weren't preparing for happens, we think it's the worst thing. Maybe something like this has happened to you recently. There has been a change in your plans. You wonder what's going on. Maybe the Lord is trying to get your attention. It just might be the hand of God trying to say something or direct you in a certain way, and what may seem like a coincidence actually may be providence 
disappointment is his appointment. You see different perspectives, right? Well, in today's study of Psalm 13, we're going to find a very disappointed David. We're going to find a man of God who's in pain over his circumstances. We're going to find a man grappling with feelings of confusion and abandonment and doubt and dismay with seemingly no end in sight. However, through David's very raw and real example, we're going to learn the right way to respond to pain. We're going to learn the secret to turning our pain into praise. Does that sound like a plan? All right, well, let's pray. Ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Father God, I thank you for this very timely passage of Scripture. It's really a timeless passage of Scripture, God, because we can always relate. And I'm just so thankful that it's here, that it's in your word, God, uh, as an encouragement to our souls. So, Lord, undoubtedly people uh, came here this morning carrying weight, carrying pain, carrying a lot of the same feelings that David was carrying when he wrote this psalm. And I pray that you, your Holy Spirit, would minister to their hearts today. God, uh, help me to get out of your way and speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So before we jump into reading today's text, uh, I'm going to provide you a little bit of context. And truth be told, we actually don't know much about the context of this passage. We don't know a ton about the circumstances that were surrounding Psalm 13. Um, It's likely that David wrote this psalm during his years of exile when he was being uh, chased after by King Saul. But nevertheless, what we do know, based really from this psalm, what we do know for sure is that David was a man in great anguish, a man who felt like God had forsaken him when he needed him the most, a man who was in desperate need of deliverance. And church, again, the reason why I love this psalm and quite frankly have chosen to preach on it a number of times through the years is because it's always timely. It reflects the inevitable experiences of every follower of Christ. At some point or another, all of us are going to experience these seasons of pain and suffering. All of us are going to experience seasons when we question God, and this psalm shows us how to process through these difficult seasons. And so let's begin by reading the whole psalm, and then we'll break it down. Psalm 13, 1 through 6. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You know, church, as a father of three children, I've had my fair share of new parent fails, new parent fails, many of which I try to forget. I still have failures, but many of them I try to forget. However, one fail that I'll never forget was a time when I left my newborn son, Chase, in our van when we went out to eat. I just left him there by accident. You see, the restaurant was packed and parking was limited, and so I dropped off my wife and my daughter and the rest of my family at the door and I drove around to find a place to park. And the closest spot was street parking a few blocks away. So I parked the van, and I made my trek back to the restaurant. And when I got to our table, I couldn't understand why everyone was looking at me so strangely. And then Carrie said, where's Chase? I totally forgot I had a second kid. And so naturally, I made a beeline back to the van as fast as I could and 
Thankfully, when I arrived there, Chase was laying in his car seat with his little nookie. Had no idea that his dear old dad forgot about him. Look at him now. I can't forget about him even if I tried. He's gigantic, and he's only 13. But at the time, I forgot about him. But church, when my child was in potential trouble, I was deeply concerned for his well-being once I realized I forgot about him. And I would have run down any person, place, or thing to, in my way to get to him. Women and children, get out of my way. I'm going to get my kid, right? But this got me to thinking, how much more will God, our Heavenly Father, lovingly run to us when we need him? You see, friends, unlike my epic parent fail, God will never fail, forsake, or forget about his children. And, and as David prayerfully processed through his dire situation, he needed to be reminded of this reality. And I suspect that maybe some of you do as well. And so I've broken down today's passage into three stages that show how David got back to that place. Stages that show how David's pain turned into praise. And so let's begin by looking at the first. Number one, wrestling with God's absence. Look again at verses one and two. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Church, arguably the greatest boxing movie, at least the most famous boxing movie of all time, is Rocky, right? It tells the story of this amateur boxer, Rocky Balboa, also known as the Italian Stallion, who had the opportunity to fight against the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. No one expected Rocky to make it very far into the fight, but nevertheless, even though his body was battered and bruised and broken, Rocky never gave up. In fact, he shocked the world by going the distance, the full 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Now, the match ultimately ended up with Apollo uh, having the victory, which is questionable, right? But anyway, it ended up with Apollo having the victory, but Rocky achieved a much-needed moral victory. Church, as believers, sometimes we need to get into the ring with God. Sometimes we need to go the distance with him to receive a much-needed spiritual victory. A.W. Tozer said, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. You might remember the story of Jacob back in Genesis. He fought with God all night long. And even though he was battered and he was bruised and he was broken, he kept going and he boldly declared in Genesis 32, 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And you know what? God did bless him. But again, his blessing didn't come without a little bit of a fight. Church, none of us will ever have the unique experience of physically wrestling with God, but all of us are going to have times in our lives when we emotionally wrestle with him, right? All of us are going to have times when we struggle over situations that are painful or difficult to understand. And these are the times when our faith will be put to the test. Well, this is where we find David in today's psalm. He's right in the middle of this wrestling match with God, and his faith was being put to the test. Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 13 the howling psalm. Why? Because four times in the first two verses, David cried, how long? How long? You see, David felt as if God had forgotten him. He felt as if God had removed his presence from him. He felt as if God had disregarded his promises to him. He felt as if God had turned his back on him. And church, I'll admit, there's been times in my life when I've been in these same types of seasons when I've wondered God, did you forget about me? 
Like David, I found myself asking, how long, God, how much longer do I need to go through this? Where are you, God? Answer me. Have any of you been there before? Just show of hands. Anybody else? Yeah, we've all been there, right? We've all been put into positions that have caused us to question God. And do you know what? We're not alone. Because beyond David, Scripture provides many other examples of God's people struggling with God's silence during life's most difficult situations. Asaph wrote in Psalm 77, look what he said. He says, has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? Likewise, Psalm 83, 1 and 2. Oh God, do not be silent. Do not be deaf. Do not be quiet, oh God. Don't you hear the uproar of your enemies? Don't you see that your arrogant enemies are rising up? Church, all this to say, it is okay. Take a deep breath. It is okay to express your honest, raw feelings before the Lord. It's okay to wrestle with God from time to time. In fact, I believe it's an important part of our spiritual growth. However, what's not okay is when you and I allow our feelings to drive our faith. Why? Because feelings deceive, right? Ask any middle school boy who thinks the girl that he likes likes him back. Feelings deceive. Instead, our faith must be driven by facts. It must be driven by what is true, not what appears to be true, what feels like is true. It must be driven by the unchanging promises of God. And so as this psalm continues to unravel, we're going to find David coming back to this vital realization. But right now, we meet him in this time of questioning, this time of bearing his soul to God, only to be met by the silence of God. And again, we've all been there before. Perhaps you're there right now. Perhaps you're wondering if God has forgotten about you, or maybe he's abandoned you. Perhaps you feel as if your prayers aren't getting past the ceiling. Friends, if that's you, I want you to listen closely. God has not forgotten you or forsaken you. I will say it again. God has not forgotten you or forsaken you. He can't. It's outside of his character. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. So when it feels like your prayers for deliverance are not making it past the ceiling, remember this, all right? And I'm preaching to myself, by the way. Remember this. I think sometimes we treat God like we treat Amazon Prime. We expect a delivery in two days or less. However, some of his best deliveries, they just take time. And they require patience. And oftentimes, God is so good that he will actually do some of his best work while we're waiting for the delivery to come. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they who wait for the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen? So David was in, this, in the middle of this waiting period. And just like any waiting period... Even though God will use it for good, we see here in Isaiah, it doesn't feel very good at the moment. Anybody like waiting for anything ever? No. And so from David's perspective, the enemy was winning, and there was no hope in sight. And so he did what all of us do when things go wrong. He demanded answers. 
This leads us to the second stage, waiting on God's answers. Look at verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You know, church, a few years ago, I, I visited the eye doctor for the first time since I was like 10 or 11 years old. I figured it, I was due. Uh, and, and so I went, not necessarily because I, I had trouble seeing, but my eyes were starting to hurt me whenever I had prolonged time in front of, like, my computer or phone or TV screen. And as it turned out, I actually still have perfect 20-20 vision. That's the one thing I got going for me. <laughs> However, the eye doctor suggested that I should wear some, like, low-script, like, blue-light reading glasses whenever I'm working on the computer to kind of help magnify what I'm uh, seeing on the screen and eliminate some of the sting. And so uh, ever since then, I've been wearing these glasses when I'm like sermonizing because I obviously spent a lot of time in front of my computer sermonizing and consequently the pain in my eyes subsided. Well, in verse 3, when David uses this expression, light up my eyes, it's essentially a plea to God to help him see clearly and remove some of the sting. It's a plea to strengthen his faith, to guide his way, to refresh his soul. It's a plea for a change of perspective because what he's seeing is hurtful. In fact, David feared that if he didn't get some sort of relief soon, that this trial would result in his death. Like, it, it was a dire situation. Whatever he was going through, he's like, this is going to kill me if God doesn't intervene. And furthermore, the text also suggests that David feared that if this trial overcame him, then his enemies would boast and rejoice in the downfall of a man of God. His enemies would think that, hey, God was not able to fulfill his promise to you, David. Probably referring to the promise that David would receive the throne of Israel. You see, for David, this was more than just self-preservation at stake. David was deeply concerned about the glory of God. And church, I believe there's an important lesson to be learned here. The great evangelist D.L. Moody said, Out of a hundred men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian." In other words, the moment when you publicly identify with Christ, you become a spectacle to the world. And the world watches how you talk and how you walk. And moreover, the world watches how you and I respond to life's most difficult situations. When you're put to the fire, the world watches to see if you're going to curse God or continue to bless God. And make no mistake about it, how we respond makes a difference. It matters. Many of you will remember the story of Job. Right? Job, our buddy Job. Job was a godly man who was greatly blessed by the Lord. But one day his entire life came crashing down. You see, the Lord, the Lord allowed Satan to afflict Job with painful, life-changing losses to see how he would respond. His response is found in Job 1. It says, that, then Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And despite all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Next, the Lord allowed Satan to afflict Job's health. He allowed Satan to strike Job with painful, painful boils from his head down to his feet. How did Job respond? Chapter 2. It says, then his wife said to him, okay, so this is the outsider, right? This is the person from the world trying to figure out how he's going to respond. His wife said to him, do you still hold firm your integrity? Curse God and die. What a great wife, right? 
How would you like that? You know, you're lying there sick with a cold, because when men get cold, you know, it's the end of the world as we know it. You're sitting there, oh, oh, oh. And like, I can't imagine Carrie coming to me. He's like, you know what, Mike? Curse God and die. I don't see her saying that to me. That would be super depressing, man. Like, what are you going to do? Like, you got Carrie, take care of me. I got a cold. But he said to her, you are speaking as one of the foolish women, uh, foolish women speaks. Shall we actually accept good from God, but not accept adversity? Despite all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Friends, the story of Job reminds us of several important realities. First, it reminds us that God is sovereign over life's most difficult situations. There is no difficulty that's going to come into your life that has not passed through the hands of God first. Number two, second, it reminds us that the strength of our faith is often revealed during life's most difficult moments. That's a tough pill to swallow, but it's true. And third, it reminds us that the world wants us to turn against God when we're in life's most difficult situations. But the beauty about Job is his example shows us that it's possible to experience great pain yet still give God the glory. David had a similar desire for himself. He didn't want his dire circumstances to bring any type of discredit to God. And I find it interesting that even though God provided no immediate deliverance, even though God provided no apparent solution, even though God provided no uh, immediate change in circumstances, what you see in Psalm 13 is that God did provide David exactly what he needed to get through his situation. In fact, he provided David with the change of perspective that he was praying for as he was writing this psalm. He answered David's prayer to light up my eyes. Dr. Tony Evans said, it's easy to praise God in the sunshine, but your breakthrough comes when you praise him in the dark. Well, we see here that David had a breakthrough that moved him from a posture of pain to a posture of praise. And this brings us to the third stage, rejoicing in God's attributes. Get five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the movie Aladdin, there's a scene where Aladdin was trying to win over Princess Jasmine. And as he was standing on his magic carpet, he asked the princess if she'd like to go for a ride. And naturally, she was a little bit hesitant. Who's this creepo asking me to go on the magic carpet ride with him? But then he extended his hand and he asked, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And now the princess had no real reason to trust Aladdin, but nevertheless, the princess said, yes. And as a result, one of the greatest love songs of all time was born. (laughs) I can show you the world. Okay. But church, when we come face to face with life's most difficult moments, God extends his hand and asks us the very same question. He says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And unlike the relationship between Aladdin and the princess, we actually have countless reasons that we can confidently say yes. We have countless reasons why we can trust God to hold us as we ride through life's ups and downs. We have countless reasons to see our world through a whole new perspective. And these reasons, all of these reasons rest in who God is. It rests in his attributes. In the midst of dire circumstances, David chose to say yes to God. He chose to trust in what he knew to be true about God's character. 
It says he chose to trust in God's steadfast love. Other translations say faithfulness and rejoice in God's salvation. And listen, therein lies the secret to turning your pain into praise. When we remember who God is and what he's done in the past, it helps change our perspective of pain in the present. Dr. Thomas Constable, uh, he, he says this in, in his notes. By the way, great free commentary notes, Constable's notes, and the whole Bible you can find online for free. He, he, has, he does some great work. But he says this, When the heavens seem to be brass and we feel God has departed from us, we should continue to trust him and wait for his salvation. And we can find encouragement by remembering his past loyal love and goodness to us. As I mentioned earlier, in Psalm 77, Asaph was going through a similar trial as David. He felt as if God had forgotten him and abandoned him. And, and the more he meditated on his hopeless situation, the more hopeless he felt. He felt more saddened and confused and rejected. However, when he began to meditate on God's faithfulness, it brought him comfort and reassurance. Listen to his words in Psalm 77, 10 through 14. And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Sounds like a beaten man, doesn't it? Sounds like a guy who's given up hope. This is my fate. God has turned his back on me. It's over. That's it. But then, but then, something happens. A switch turns on. There's, there's, a, there's this U-turn that he makes with his thinking. But then, what did he do? I recall all you've done, O oh Lord. And I remember your wonderful deeds from long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. Church, recalling God's faithfulness in the past changes our perspective of pain in the present. In the book of Acts, there's this account of when Paul and Silas were persecuted for their faith and put into prison. Listen to what happened. It should be on the screen. So the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. <laughs> Isn't that, I just think that's funny, you know? Not funny that they got beat and everything, but like, like after they get beat really bad, Hey, can you just make sure these guys stay safe in there, will you? You know, in prison? This is just how my mind thinks. I'm weird. But anyway, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And then verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. There's just so much beauty here. You know, they're singing hymns to God after they just got beat, and then you've got the other prisoners actually, you know, how we respond matters. They're listening to them. But church, this, <laughs> this account has always perplexed me. Why? Because if I, and, and I would suspect you, if we, were beaten with many blows, or excuse me, stripped of our clothes, beaten with many blows, thrown into prison, fastened to stocks, the very last thing I would feel like doing is singing hymns to God at midnight. But then the thought occurred to me, like, are these guys superheroes? 
Or are they human? And then the thought occurred to me. I'm not so sure Paul and Silas felt like it either. In fact, I can't help but wonder if Paul and Silas sang praises to God, not necessarily because they felt like it, but because they recognized that their faith was fueled by it. In other words, they recognized that praising God for his faithfulness in the past would help them get through their pain and discouragement in the present. Friends, I'll admit, there's been times when I've shown up to church on a Sunday with little to no spiritual fuel in my tank. I've shown up maybe discouraged or debilitated from the events of the week with honestly no, app, no real desire to worship. There's been times where I've shown up just not feeling like it. Can anyone relate? And do you know what I learned? I learned that these are the Sundays that I need to praise God the most. Not because I feel like it, but because I don't. I've learned that when I choose to sing God's praises in spite of my pain, when I choose to make a melody out of his attributes in spite of my attitude, when I choose to worship anyway, it has a way of reassuring my soul comforting my spirit, and it helps me win the battle against the enemy. I've learned, listen, I've learned that praise is God's prescription for pain management. The one thing you don't feel like doing the most is the thing you need to do the most so that you might receive some healing. And so all this to say, if you are here today and you're going through your own painful situation, if you're feeling forgotten or forsaken by God, if you're in desperate need of deliverance, let me encourage you to do exactly that. Rejoice in who God is and what he's done. Remember God's faithfulness to you in the past and trust him to meet your needs in the present. Turn your pain into praise and God will take care of the rest. I love the words of Psalm 32, 7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Amen? Now, one more thought. Sometimes when we're in the fog of war, and, and I, I, I admit that I've, I've experienced this many times, probably more times than I, I would like to even admit, but, but sometimes when we're in the fog of war, and we're right in the middle of this spiritual battle, it's hard to see things clearly, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to remember how God was faithful to us in the past. Even if, even if he was, it's just hard to, I can't see it right now. All I see is the fog and the war and the hurt and the pain, and it's just hard to see past all that. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God actually cares about our situation when we're in the fog of war. And church, when this happens, God has provided us a symbol that we can always turn to, to help realign our thinking. An everlasting reminder of his steadfast love and salvation. The cross. It's for this reason, and many others were like, can we get the cross out from behind the screen and actually put it where people can see it more than once every time we have a baptism? Because the cross helps realign our thinking. Chip Ingram said, The cross is the greatest example of humility and devotion in the universe. 
Jesus put your needs ahead of his own. He considered you more valuable than himself. Friends, if Jesus loves you so much that he willingly died to give you eternal life, then you can certainly trust him to get you through the painful circumstances of your earthly life. And so when you're in the fog of war and you can't see or think clearly, then let me just encourage you, turn to the cross. Just, just look at the cross. Just think about the cross. If you've got nothing else, I can't remember a thing. God's never been faithful to me ever in my whole life. He has, but I can't remember it right now. Just look at the cross. It brings you back to the greatest example of faithfulness that God has to offer, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here today and you've never responded to the message of the cross, then you don't have any hope to turn to. Like, where are you going to go? In the fog of war, you can't see clearly. Where are you going to go if you don't have Jesus? But that could all change. You could actually leave here this morning with a hope to turn to. So listen closely. And with this all close. The Bible teaches that God created us to be with him, to have a relationship with him, but our sin separates us from him. And there's nothing that we can do to bridge this separation. See, apart from a Savior, the Bible teaches that we're dead. We are dead in our, trans, in, in our transgressions, in our, in our sin, and we, we are without hope. And when we die, it only gets worse. We need to go to a place of eternal separation from God. But the good news is that 2,000 years ago, God, in his great love for you, became a man in Jesus, and he died on the cross, taking the punishment for your sins upon himself. And three days later, he rose from the dead, and in doing so, he provided the way for you to receive forgiveness of your sins, be saved, and receive the gift of eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen, friend, if you want to receive forgiveness for your sins and be assured of your salvation, and you want to receive the gift of eternal life, and you want to have this hope to always cling to when life hurts most, all you must do is admit that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you, and believe in the person and work of Jesus. Not behave in the person and work of Jesus, believe in him. He'll help you behave later. But, but salvation comes through belief. Trust in him and him alone to save your soul. And at the moment of belief, you will receive the gift of eternal life. And so, friend, if that's a decision that you'd like to make today, you can do so right now in the quietness of your seat. You can leave here a changed person forever. I would suggest in the quietness of your seat, just praying something like this, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I want to turn from my sins, and I, and I ask you for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, and I believe that he died for my sins and that you raised him to life. And I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And I want you to come into my heart and take control of my life. I want to trust in you and you alone for my salvation and follow you from this day forward. Amen. And if you, if you pray something like that, because again, it's by faith, right? If you, if you just trust in Jesus and you want to acknowledge that before him in prayer, you will be saved. And so if you've decided that you want to trust Jesus for the first time today, if you want to get rolling in your new relationship with the Lord, please let us know. Simply by marking it on your Connect slip and dropping it in the gray basket on your way out. You're more than welcome to talk to us after the service, but if you can't get to us, you fill out the Connect slip, you drop it in the gray basket, it's a good uh, way for us to get a hold of you later in the week. But it would be our joy to help you grow in your new relationship with the Lord.
You can come forward after the service, after we get done with our last song. There's a few packets of information here that will help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. But do something, right? Do something. Take that next step beyond just receiving Jesus, which is amazing. But take that next step to help you grow in your faith. And so with that being said, I'd like to invite the praise team forward. We're going to close with one more song. A song that responds um, and recognizes that God is sovereign over every situation in our lives. And it's an opportunity for all of us, if you're carrying pain with you this morning, to turn your pain into praise, even if you have to fight every feeling against it, even if you want to stand there and say, I, I don't want to sing today because I'm so upset with what I'm going through. Pain is God's prescription to bring healing. So let's pray. Father God, excuse me, praise is God's prescription to bring healing. Let's, let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the truth of your word. God, the reminder that we can be raw and real with you because, um, Lord, you can take it. And, and we just struggle with understanding, God, why? And so, Lord, when we wrestle with that question, why, help us to turn that question, why, into what. What about you is true regardless of what I'm going through? And help us to praise you anyway. Help us to choose to worship you. And, God, if there are people here that have just brought a tremendous amount of pain into this uh, building today, I pray, Lord, that they would leave here a little bit more reassured and comforted by your presence. And, God, that you would bring relief and deliverance to their circumstances because you are able. Thank you, Lord, for being sovereign. Thank you for being in control. Thank you for loving us. And all God's people said. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.